Well, everyone, once again, it's time for the Inside EMS Podcast. I am your host, Chris Savalero. With me in his new digs in the Empire State, Potsdam, New York, our good friend, co-host of the Inside EMS Podcast, the internationally recognized Inside EMS Podcast, Kelly Grayson KG. What is the 411 from New York State? Oh man, I am I'm settling into my job as lead paramedic instructor for Clarkson University. Uh, we're building a building a new paramedic program from the ground up with the help of some some really good staff and, and support personnel and uh, leaning into it. I'm, I'm like uh, I'm I'm gaining what my students are going to be getting uh, in about three months. Uh, I'm drinking through the fire hose right now. Because we are, we're starting a paramedic program that will graduate its first cohort in nine months after the day they start. So it's going to be, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it's going to be uh, every moment is is spent learning something. So I'm you looking tanned and rested and, and slick looking. Right? Got the got the shirt open down to your navel and the Mister T starter kit going. You just a sexy sexy beast. You know that Savalero. Well, thank you, thank you. I am not uh, going for that look by any means. Thank you for pointing that out for me. Um, trolling here on the Inside EMS podcast. If you're watching us on video, you can see uh, we're both looking pretty dapper in this summer. But uh, good to hear things are going. As your program starts to get more legs, it'll be good to kind of chat about it for the people who are oh, developing yeah. programs or need to develop. I mean, you've only been up there a little bit of time. So we will uh, wait for you to get that fire hose under control, and then we'll start to talk about some things. And then I think what will be really cool is, um, you know, we do a lot of prep work for shows on really what's happening. I think one of the things that will really be great about your transition, and once you start teaching uh, uh, ALS or paramedics, um, we'll be talking about the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, or we'll be talking about pharmacokinetics or we'll be talking I'm familiar about pharmacoke- with that, that system that was a star yeah. wars wasn't it it was uh, yeah next yeah. to tatooine so, yeah <laughs> exactly so but you know one of the things that we do every so often is we talk about the news and the things that are going on in the news and uh, today's going to be a new show we're going to talk about a couple things kelly had the chance to go out to nemsi we're going to go talk about what's going on there but I, I wanted to bring up this article written by our own greg freese Greg He's Reese. the man up there. Yeah. yeah, he is the <laughs> editorial director of uh, EMS One, certainly a fire one and police one, doing a great job. And I was thinking about Greg today, as a matter of fact, when we were, uh, I was looking at his article here and, uh, you know, how long we've known each other. He, everybody, uh, people may forget he was the host along with uh, Rob Terrio and Bill Toon of the EMS Educast for many, many mm-hmm. years. They sunsetted that show. It's got to be 10 years now that they haven't been doing it. But um, was our my great uh, inspiration for wanting to do a podcast. And, great you know, podcast, I get, yeah. yeah, I get to do this. Uh, I get to do this podcast now because of, you know, his inspiration and him paving the way along with Chris Montera uh, and Jamie Davis as well. But uh, we're going back years and years. But Greg wrote an article. You know, there there is a uh, um, a leadership specialist out there gary b and he's out of new york and you know you may have seen gary if you haven't go ahead and just type in gary b listen to some of his stuff that he shares with folks and he's very very in your face very very direct but one of the things he said that i don't know that i agreed with was if we're not using 
um, AI in our business every day, we are failing our business. And I said, you know what? I just can't subscribe to that. Well, a week or so later, then Greg puts out this article. Check out the article. How to use ChatGPT for paramedic interviewing and selection. And when I looked at this, I was like, man, maybe there's something into using ChatGPT to kind of, you know, really um, do the best job for interviewing. Because when we think about interviewing, Kelly, that's when people put the dog on, right? I mean, they are, yeah. they are giving us the very best of who they are. And uh, we are just getting answers to questions that may or may not be true. And we really have to kind of decipher. But how do we challenge these people that are coming in? And how do we figure it out? Well, like I said, Greg's got a really great article. And he gives us a prompt to put in a chat uh, to uh, ChatGPT. If you're not familiar with ChatGPT, it's an app that you can get on your phone. It allows you to put stuff in and AI will get it out. Now, I've done things, Kelly, where I played with it and I got a um, class. I asked for a 12-slide PowerPoint on critical thinking, like 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So Greg puts the prompt in. I want to read the prompt to you. I am interviewing applicants for a full-time job as a paramedic at a busy private EMS ambulance service that responds to 911 calls and interfacility requests. One component of the process is a panel interview where the operations supervisor, field training officer, and experienced paramedics, uh, uh, the, 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 Who's going to be on the panel? Okay. And then he says, yeah. recommend five scenario-based questions for the applicant. Well, in his article, he gets his own five. But I wanted to go ahead and go to chat GPT and say, uh -oh, what the heck is going, going on with my five, right? So I went ahead and copied his prompt, and I put it in the chat GPT. And chat GPT says, well, absolutely. You want five scenario questions? Here they are. Here's the first one. Okay, let's and I want to just talk about the validity of this. I mean, is this yeah. something that we could just, right? So you receive a 911 call reporting a motor vehicle accident with multiple injuries. As the first paramedic on scene, what steps would you take to effectively assess and prioritize patient care? This question will help evaluate the applicant's ability to handle high-stress high situations and the host to read the prompts, make quick decisions, and prioritize patient needs. That's question one. Right. Yeah. So we talked about that from a scenario base. I mean, it, it, that's an awesome question. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have come up with a question like that. If I'm going to deal with stress, I'm going to talk about more along the lines of saying, tell me a time you were stressed and how you dealt with it. Yeah. So scenario number two, you were called to a residential address for a patient experiencing chest pain. Upon arrival, you find the patient unconscious and not breathing. Walk us through the immediate actions you would take to manage this critical situation. This question will assess the applicant's knowledge and proficiency in performing life-saving intervention, such as CPR, defibrillation, in emergency situations. Another great question. Mm -hmm. Walk me through this process of this cardiac arrest that you weren't expecting. First off, I hope they don't say, well, I have to go back out to the truck to get my gear. But anyway, Kelly, <laughs> I've been babbling about this, you know, for the last 10 minutes here. Um, I mean, what do you think about it? I mean, I, I was really kind of impressed with this. Uh, interesting that you should ask, because last week, right before we went to the Namesy conference in Reno, our dean walked into the office and said, uh, 
I need you all to start thinking about how we can use chat GPT and, and uh, uh, open AI or generative AI uh, to enhance and augment our paramedic program. Uh, so we've been looking at that and, and haven't played with it, uh, haven't had the opportunity to play with it much, but it is, uh, it, it is a potential resource. It's also a potential headache for educators uh, because, you know, we've got some students that would rather use chat, chat GPT to write their essay than, than do it themselves. Uh, but I, uh, you know, it's the technology is, is amazing and the fact the more you use it, the more you play around with it, you know, you typed your questions in, uh, Chris, it's it's in their database now and it's using your questions to learn how to write the next set of better questions for the next person that asked for for such a thing. Um, but uh, Bill Young at the Namesy conference gave a, an excellent talk on pros and cons for chat GPT and and generative AI for paramedic programs that was right what we were looking for. Uh, and an interesting tidbit I learned is that, that uh, chat GPT and, and programs like it, these conversational AI programs were originally developed as chatbot clients for mental health hotlines. And they got shut down because one of them uh, advised a caller that, yeah, you probably should commit suicide. No, they didn't. <laughs> yes, it did. And, and they shut it down. Uh, they shut it down. Nancy was telling me about a story about that they had two AI um, uh, clients talking to each other uh, and they developed their own language that the human controllers could not understand or decipher. So they shut it down, you know, because these the, their machine learning algorithms were pretty fierce and they, they eventually developed their own language to talk to one another that the, the humans couldn't decipher. You know, and just made me want to ask, was this was this caller that advised to kill itself? Was his name John Connor? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, because oh, Skynet. From the but Terminator. There yeah. Are, yeah, there are some there are some limitations to it as well. You you mentioned using your scenarios and that was one of the the uh using it to write scenarios and test questions. And that was one of the the potential uses. But Bill took us through a few questions and scenarios that that uh, Chat GPT uh, generated, and there were wrong answers that it marked right. However, um, there was a reasonable rationale, and you can ask the the client, or you can ask Chat GPT to provide a rationale for each answer, uh, and they will they will do so, and and does it well. Um, so semi plausible, but still got it wrong. And that is one of the limitations of the platform. It still cannot tell truth from fiction. It can't yeah. tell false from true. Um, and uh, so using it to do research and, and write something, uh, someone who truly vets their, their, uh, their students' essays and whatnot uh, will, will be able to find the discrepancies there. Although it is conversational and very well written and flows smoothly, it just may be total BS. Um, well, I think that one of the things that's going to happen, though, is that until they figure out software that can determine something was AI generated, the students are going to get away with it, right? Well, because and here's the here's the you know there's a program uh, there's a, a plagiarism ID program that that educators use called Turn It In, yeah. And Turn It In does not have the capability of detecting AI generated content. However, they are about to roll out their AI uh, 
platform that, that looks for that. Um, you can also take something that was written in ChatGPT, cut and paste it into ChatGPT and say, did you write this? And it'll say, yes, I wrote that. If oh, will it really? It. Yes. However, if you cheat, if you, if you're savvy and you you change just a few minor words or punctuation, it won't recognize it as its own. Also, no, I didn't write that. So, um, interesting. We're having to well, think I mean, of, of plagiarism uh, and and intellect IP, uh, you know, intellectual property fraud and that sort of thing uh, in terms of generative AI, and it's it's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, so when we think about this, I mean, where is the place of of AI and EMS? Certainly from a clinical side, I think that we can get quick test questions, certainly scenarios for interviewing. Uh, can we get training manuals? Can we get how do we intubate uh, an obese patient? And I don't know the answer to that. I think we're going to have to play with that and see. And is it something that we're going to be able to utilize, you know, from a educational standpoint in our, um, you know, in our in our agencies? I'd be interested to know if we take the 40-week the history and somehow put it into a prompt, can we ask them for a deployment a deployment plan? Will it give yeah. us a deployment plan to say this is where your truck should be? I don't know that I think it would need more information than that. Probably maybe. not. But, you know, you would have to know they would have to know the geography. So maybe that's stupid. But I mean, just something to that effect of where is the ease of this? And then where do you put the worth, as you've mentioned, into this uh, product to say, I'm going to stand behind this as work? Yeah, you know, and it it, um, it can't. The one thing it can't do is provide citations. So you know, you can do a Google search, and Google will come up with with information and citations and sources you can go to. Uh, Chat GPT doesn't provide the citations, so you can't vet it in that fashion. Um, but it does do a, an excellent job of, uh, you know, it's learning uh, curve is getting getting ever flatter. It's getting better and better at it. It has ChatGPT uh, or other AI uh, apps have passed several medical licensing high stakes exams. Now they've also failed a number of them as well, but they they've passed some some nursing boards and, and physician licensing and, and, and physiology and, and uh, physical therapy, uh, high stakes summative exams, uh, given a passing score, taking it cold. <laughs> oh, um, its knowledge base is, is gaining ever larger, but it also uh, makes some bonehead mistakes. Uh, they, um, they call them hallucinations. Sometimes chat GPT has hallucinations that it, it just gives you something that's obviously and blatantly wrong because it misinterpreted what you asked. And that's that's the other key is, is the better you are at writing prompts and, and giving it some specific direction, the better content is going to turn out for you. You can even get it to to write something in the style or or give a script in the style of a certain person. So, you know, write me a story about uh, about fairies and, and witchcraft and, and uh, supernatural creatures uh, from the perspective of a longtime or, you know, uh, army drill sergeant. And you can just read it and you just imagine the knife hand. You, you call that Tinkerbell no nuts, you know, and it, it will do it. Um, and, and conceivably as it, 
as it grows, uh, as its uh, database grows uh, ever larger, you could say, you know, write me a, uh, a leadership book in the style of Chris Evolero, and you never know. Now, yeah, me, we'll I see. think I can be duplicated, but but you. Well, you Never duplicated, always imitated, right? That's but, right. Uh, That's right. You know, so we talked a little bit about it. It'd be interesting. If you're using AI, go ahead and send us an email at the show. Let us know what you're doing. The show at ems1.com. Let us know what you're doing with your AI. And maybe there's something that we can share in our career field. Maybe not. Uh, you know, to me, this is like in the field ultrasound. It just doesn't work for me. But anyway, let's go ahead and transition. Yeah. Don't, gonna, don't you disagree slightly. Don't but you I think it. And I don't want to see you teaching using ultrasound in the field either. So I'm going to have a problem with that if you're going against that. If they so, buy me those toys, I'm going to teach my students how to use those toys. You can bet your butt on it. But anyway. I'm not trying to teach a paramedic of today. I'm trying to teach the paramedics of tomorrow. I, I can't get into this discussion with you. There's no place for in the field ultrasounds in mm -hmm. EMS. All right. Anyway, 20 years ago, they were saying there was no place for, for field 12 lead EKGs too. So. But, but, I, but I would disagree with that because we found a way to use it. If I'm doing an ultrasound in the field, one, I'm delaying transport for someone who obviously needs it. But two, there's nothing I can do with that information. Anyway, what about choosing an appropriate receiving destination in a healthcare a, system that is so taxed? Do you everybody's need... senses is sky high, wall times are hours, and you want to, okay, can I make an intelligent decision about bringing them to the trauma center? Really? Or can so I, I need bring an them ultrasound. to general I need hospital? an ultrasound to do that. I need an ultrasound to do that, right? It, it might I don't, be a tool I don't need my used. knowledge. I don't need my skill. I don't need my experience. I need a piece of $20,000 equipment to say, I'm going to make a transport decision well, well, with it. With your I knowledge need... and experience, you're you might need me. an ultrasound you're, line. You're I could probably me. do without it. Yeah, but anyway, all right. So let's but, transition. So yeah. um, you uh, now in your new role, man, you've got to be able to say up on the latest and greatest when it comes to EMS education. Yeah. And as part of your transition, you had a chance to travel to the biggest little city in America, yeah. Reno, Nevada, and go to the uh, EMS educators conference. And uh, there are educators out there, Kelly, that probably didn't have the opportunity to go. What was it that stood out for you when you went up there? I, first of all, it was it was nice to be among tribe again. This, you know, there were a lot of EMS educators I'm friends with and and uh, and admire, uh, and it was nice to to touch base with those those guys and see them again. Um, you know, guys like Art Sia, and uh, I had dinner with uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Maria Beerman Fote, uh, who's on our EMS One Advisory Board, and you know, we've had her as a guest on the show. Uh, and one of her one of her minions was was in my group in the name C level one class. Uh, Louisiana doesn't require name C, so I've been teaching for thirty years without that particular certification. But but um, uh, took the class and and it was enjoyable. It wasn't anything I had heard before, but it was extremely well done. And it seemed to me, let's yeah. let's pause you right there. So. Yeah. You've been an educator for a lot of years, and you've not. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, have you had formal instructor methodology classes? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Oodles. So when you've taken this now, you don't want to say that any class you take, you don't get anything out of. So what is it that you took from the instructor one class that helped to hone or polish or give you an aha moment to say, "Oh, well, that's pretty cool." 
it was it, it wasn't necessarily anything nuts and bolts about teaching or or coordinating a class. Uh, it was more about strategies to, uh, to affective domain stuff. Sometimes I that's I the toughest one. In, toughest one to teach. Yeah, and I will inadvertently intimidate students with my attitude. Uh, for some reason, some people don't find me warm and fuzzy. I don't know why, uh, but. Uh, there was some useful stuff there, um, and, and you know, I'll, I'll take that back and, and incorporate it into our program. But some of the most useful things in the conference at large was was the focus on on learning processes and tailoring your teaching uh, technique and your methods to to specific learning processes. I saw a uh, a number of sessions. Uh, that basically aimed at, at flattening the forgetting curve, you know, and, and we've known how quickly you lose learned information uh, for over, well over a hundred years now. And I think 1888, uh, uh, and I'm trying to think who it was, uh, can't remember the, the name of the researcher, but he talked about how quickly you lose uh, uh, or how poorly people retra- retain information. Um, and it was. Did they say why? A lot of um, focusing on one learning model, uh, focusing on one learning method. You know, we heard it, uh, but we didn't. Uh, we didn't form the the neural connections to to put it in long term memory uh, by connecting with kinesthetic and and uh, visual cues and that sort of thing. And learning learning the same information through different methods. Yeah, it's a commonly held myth in educational methodology that people have learning styles. They have preferred learning styles, but there nobody effectively learns something using one style. Uh, an effective learner, uh, someone who knows how to learn and study, uses all that auditory, visual, and kinesthetic learning styles to complement one another, and that's how they they get things into to long term memory. So a lot of it was was first of all tailoring your your methodology to a patient to a, a student's preferred learning style, while at the same time helping them develop their other learning styles uh, so they become a more effective uh, learner. And there were you know Dan Dan Batesy did an excellent one on uh, 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 desirable uh, difficulty. And it was the same thing. It was how to interleave uh, scenarios uh, going from one one scenario to another and back and forth so that the student never gets comfortable or in a groove. But they do, even though they, they may not feel as comfortable, they do uh, start to form some some neural pathways where they see the big picture. They connect things. They make these connections uh, in their, their brain uh, where they can access and retrieve that information. And, you know, that's that's one of the things a lot of people, uh, my my colleague, Jeff Anderson uh, from North Louisiana, Jeff and I worked together many years ago. I was one of his first training officers, but uh, and he's he's gone on to be an excellent program director. But he had one on the same thing, um, focusing on how students uh, attain, store and retrieve information. And if you know how they do that and how those connections are formed and how quickly they use them, then you can you can aim your teaching at making sure that that information is not just cast away in a matter of days or weeks. It, it sticks and it's all about 
Well, there's a great book on that called Making It Stick. But yeah. A lot of stuff. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things, but it, let me ask you this question. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. What's your biggest, um, I don't want to use the word fear, apprehension, uh, worry, um, maybe fear about doing what you're doing now, transitioning to this this very important responsibility. You and I, you and I have talked about the challenges of EMS education for a lot of years, lot of years, and now you have the opportunity with some great with a great team to put a to put a stamp on that, right? So, I mean, do you have those? Do you have those feelings of of trepidation oh, yeah, of worry? What, had, what, is, what, 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 what is it? What are they? Well, here's the thing. I've I've been a very successful, and I'm I'm not tooting my own horn by saying this. Well, you deserve to. I'll toot your been, horn. You've been I've been very successful educator. as an EMS educator, but I have also been in a comfort zone where I can invent my own thing, do my own thing, and let the results speak for themselves. I've never had a great deal of uh, academic and, and administrative oversight in what I do. Even even my program directors have said run with it, Kelly. It's your deal. I'm here to support you. And they didn't question what I did. It's a different story in academia. But the flip side of that coin is, is my dean and, and our administrative assistant assistants in our uh, department, even my landlord, I am in uh, a home owned by the uh, the trustees of the the uh, uh, School of Health Sciences that, that uh, endowed the School of Health Sciences at Clarkson University. Um, the amount of support I have gotten and am continuing to get is tremendous. So the stakes are higher, the expectations are higher, and that's intimidating to say the least, because what we're trying to do is do a program that very few programs have been able to accomplish. We're trying to teach a full-on, comprehensive, uh, high-quality paramedic course in nine months. 15 weeks of clinical or 16 weeks of, of didactic, 16 weeks of clinical. It's crazy. Um, and, and, you know, and we were, we were looking at some other programs that were touting how quickly they were turning out paramedics and they're doing it in 11 months. We're going to do it um, much shorter. Why, um, why so fast? Because the, the EMS system in, in our area of upstate New York is, is in bad shape. Uh, okay. There's a lot of, uh, there's, Volunteer squads are closing and problems. Yeah. They're also fighting with with each other over fifty year old beefs, uh, and they haven't learned to work and play well with one another. Um, and uh, the the economy is depressed. Uh, basically, uh, a couple of aluminum plants and farming and Clarkson University, uh, St. Lawrence University, and SUNY Potsdam are the the businesses that are keeping this region alive. And the hospital, so a lot of a lot of retraining and stuff like that. That yeah, and and very cool. but we've got some strong partners in in uh, St. Lawrence Health System that that they look like you know we want to build this EMS system. We're we're uh, blowing up the enterprise and and building it anew, and we want to do cool. this from the ground up and and make EMS an integral part of that. I couldn't turn down. A challenge like that. I may. No, I mean, I think I may I think this is, wind up with this, bruises and, and lacerations uh, getting it. But man, I can't turn down a challenge like that. But you do on any journey, right? On any journey that's yep. worth taking, Indeed. you're going to have speed bumps and hurdles and and bruises and bumps. And so, but it sounds like it's, there's a lot of things going growth, on. You know, <laughs> we, 
we talked about a lot of things today, so I think we had a really great show, but it's yeah. time for you to do your thing. Yeah, well, you've heard what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What do you think about chat GPT and, and generative AI? So have a place in EMS. Can you make it work for your agency? Uh, if you could do it and do it uh, correctly, would you have chat GPT write your narratives for you? We'd like to hear what you think at the one. show at EMS1.com. And if you're in upstate New York and looking for paramedic education, come see us at Clarkson. This is Kelly Grayson and Chris Civilero. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>